I'm Chris Carter of the Locked On Steelers podcast, and today we'll talk with Corbin Smith on Crossover Thursday of the Locked On Seahawks podcast about how this game really does feel like a playoff atmosphere for this for both these teams as they go into it. That and key matchups and more here on the Locked On Steelers podcast. Let's get into it. You are Locked On Steelers, your daily Pittsburgh Steelers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12s and Steelers fans. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast. Glad to be joined by Christopher Carter of Locked On Steelers. It's week 17, crossover Thursday. We've got a playoff-oriented rematch coming up on week 17, Sunday docket. These two teams surprisingly have played each other a lot in recent years, the Seahawks and the Steelers, uh, beckoning back to that Super Bowl 40 matchup. There's a little bit of a rivalry here, even though they're not in the same conference. They'll be duking it out at Lumen Field. A special thanks to all the 12s and Steelers fans for tuning in to this latest crossover special, which is brought to you by our friends at Prize Picks. This Crossover Thursday episode is brought to you by Price Picks, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to pricepicks.com slash LockedOnNFL and use the code, all lowercase, LockedOnNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. All right, Christopher, this is the game that is, I, I think saying there's massive playoff implications would be underselling uh, what is going to be coming up on Sunday, particularly for the Steelers who looked like they were down and out of the playoff race, and then they not only beat the Bengals, they whipped the Bengals this past weekend with Mason Rudolph under center. Mike Tomlin has announced that he's going to be playing quarterback again this week against the Seahawks, and they're hoping that that red-hot offense that finally showed up last weekend travels well to the Pacific Northwest with their playoff hopes slim but still alive after that victory. Yeah, uh, that's the thing is that this Steelers team, a lot of people left them dead and buried uh, after their three straight losses. And and listen, it, it's been such a roller coaster season for the Steelers. At one point, they were seven and four facing two two win teams at home, and they were they were in position to chase the Ravens for what was the AFC North division and even potentially a one seed. A lot of people looked at that like after all the wins they accumulated, Patriots and Cardinals shouldn't be a problem. They dropped both of those games. Kenny Pickett gets hurt. The entire linebacking core gets decimated. The entire safety core gets decimated. And then they lose to the Colts on the road in a terrible way. And everyone's thinking it can't get any worse. They put in the third stringer Mason Rudolph. And then all of a sudden they get their first 34-point game in a winning effort since 2020 when Ben Roethlisberger was at least not as old as he as he was in his last year. Uh, and it, it's been a, it's been a remarkable turnaround. Also, the point of the uh, the Seahawks Steelers rivalry. It's funny you said that we were just talking to Najee Harris in the Steelers locker room on Wednesday, and he talked about how like growing up he liked the, he's he's a, he's a West Coast guy, so he loved the Niners and he loved the Seahawks. And Sean Alexander was like a mentor for him, and he says, "I remember yeah, they were in the Super Bowl once," and he was like did they play the Steelers in that one? And it was just a funny collection of just a moment. I and mean, everyone's like, yeah, you didn't know. He was like, oh, wow, that's crazy. But uh, certainly the history is certainly there right now. And this is 
for for all you know, it's not officially a playoff game, but it's a playoff game. These are two teams that are duking it out that are in must-win situations. You look at the NFC uh, right now, the Seahawks holding on to that seven seed at eight and seven, but the Vikings and the Falcons and the Packers and the Saints all at seven and eight right behind them. They need to be able to win to, to keep pace. Meanwhile, the Steelers, they have to win out. If they, in, in all realities, they can still have, you know, some crazy formulas to get in if they lose, if they go one and one in their last two games, but their best chances are they win out. And then all it would take is a combination of of, of four different teams. Uh, if two of four different teams just lose one game between the Bills, the Colts, the Texans, and the Jaguars, if two of those four teams at least lose one game uh, in, the le- in the, over the next two weeks and the Steelers went out, they're in. And in fact, Two of those teams even play each other. So there's one one of those losses is guaranteed. So it, it is a must-win situation for two teams that have had entirely roller coaster seasons. Yeah, they don't have completely identical situations because the Seahawks are going to benefit going into this week from the fact that the Vikings have lost their last two games now. And Seattle, they do, you know, they control their own destiny now. Mm-hmm. If they win the last two games, they're in. There is no scenario now where they can go 10 and 7 and they aren't going to make the playoffs. And they have better odds to lose one of the next two games and get in. But if you're the Seahawks, you're looking at this, hey, we don't want to lose a game. You're looking at this as a situation where you're wanting to get both these victories. And for the Steelers' perspective, they don't control their own destiny. As you mentioned, there are some other ingredients there that need to happen nope. for them to get into the postseason. Even if they win the next two games, they're not fully guaranteed to get in. Obviously, that would bolster their chances, but that is really the key storyline for both these teams. It is playoff fever, and from Seattle's perspective, they had one of the most brutal schedules you can have in the middle of the season. They played the 49ers twice they played the Eagles and they played the Cowboys in a four-week span those two 49ers games sandwiched around the Cowboys which that game was on the road so that was as tough of a four-game stretch as you are going to have in the NFL and the game they lost before that the Rams have ended up being pretty solid this year and right now they're the number six seed so they had one of the nastiest month-long schedules you can imagine and yet here they are now. They've won their last two games. They got that big win of the Eagles. They were able to steal a win from the Titans on the road, which winning games in the NFL, it doesn't matter how decimated the other team is. Winning road games in the NFL is hard. But this really is a team that feels like those games they lost, that four-game losing streak, with all those teams being playoff teams, elite playoff teams for three of those, they feel like they are a much better team now, and it has positioned them to make this late season run and potentially be a threat to some of those teams that beat them earlier in the year. It's interesting how those things work. The confidence has certainly been turned up going into this game, and I'm sure the Steelers feel the same getting that big win over the Bengals last weekend. Yeah, it it was certainly a situation where – there were a lot of people saying like this season's done and buried. Mike Tomlin's about to have his first ever losing season. Just book it. And, and there were plenty of people in town, you know, screaming fire Mike Tomlin because he's the biggest problem and all this other stuff. And then you get a win like that. And all of a sudden the, ch- the tones change around the room. And that's what I'm saying. Roller coaster year, man, for both of these teams. And, like, and you're right. It's been different journeys too, because, uh, you know, both teams have also dealt with massive injuries that, ha- that have crippled their roster at different points of the year. And they've had to find a way to try to limp through some games and find a way to get some wins. That was the other part that was really impressive about it. The Steelers are down to, I mean, Mika Fitzpatrick, DeMonte Casey, Keanu Neal, Trenton Thompson, who came off the practice squad, and Elijah Riley, 
five safeties that they that they had going into the season all were unavailable basically in the last game. Elijah Riley played like three snaps, and they had Patrick Peterson rotate to safety, and they and they had Eric Rowe get off the couch and join the team and learn how to play safety for the team. And that secondary intercepted Jake Browning three times. Jake Browning, who had who was leading a Bengals offense to average over thirty points a game over his last three contests. Um, and also a linebacking group, a linebacker group that's down to Miles Jack coming off the couch uh, after being after retiring at the end of last season. Um, as they're down, their top three guys who all they signed this year to be uh, a rotation for them. So they're finding ways to string things together, just like the Seahawks are. Uh, and I think that's the remarkable part. And that's often, I think, what defines playoff teams is how do you deal with adversity? How do you face it when your players are going down and you need to find answers and and, and get guys to step up? And I think that's a huge story for both of these teams going in such into such a big game. And that goes back to the guys that are on the sideline. And, I, and Pete Carroll's gotten similar noise from fans in recent years. Although I think with what's going on in Denver today, that maybe there's even less going towards Pete Carroll. Maybe Pete Carroll knows a lot more than some of these fans are realizing. And then Mike Tomlin, what he's done with all the injuries, the quarterback uncertainty and things they've had in Pittsburgh. This is a game of two teams that have found a way to have a bit of a resurgence here. And both are trying to get into the postseason. And this truly is a de facto playoff game for both the Seahawks and the Steelers. We're going to be breaking down some matchups and maybe a few wild cards to watch going into this game. That'll be coming up next year on our crossover Thursday edition of the Locked On Podcast Network. This episode is brought your way by Price Picks. Price Picks is the largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform in North America. It's super easy. It's the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. You don't have to worry about going against a bunch of other players, pros, sharks. It's just you picking more than or less than on two to six player staff projections, and you can watch the winnings roll in. Price Picks is really simple to play. I can make my entries in less than 60 seconds. And now the basketball season's here. This is my favorite part the combo projections. Football and basketball from the Specials League. I could have Steph Curry and DK Metcalf with 13.5 three-pointers plus receptions. Price Picks even offers a reboot policy. No other fantasy single-day platform offers this so that your entries stay in even if one of your players gets injured. For example, football and basketball games, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and does not return, that player gets rebooted. Price Picks is the only fantasy sports platform that has such an injury insurance policy. Price Picks is an absolute blast each week. It's an easy way to enjoy daily fantasy without any hassle and land some quick winnings. Go to pricepicks.com slash LockedNFL and use the code LockedNFL. For your first deposit match up to $100, that's pricepicks.com slash LockedInNFL and use the code LockedInNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Price Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. You're listening to Crossover Thursday here on the Locked On Podcast Network, Locked On Seahawks, Locked On Steelers. I'm Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks Podcast. Glad to be joined today by Christopher Carter of the Locked On Steelers Podcast. And we've got a de facto playoff game coming up this weekend at Lumen Field. As we just mentioned in the last segment, the Seahawks are 8-7, and seven, the Steelers are 8-7. and seven. The Seahawks right now have the last wildcard spot. The Steelers are trying to fight back into 
one of those wild card spots in the AFC. And so this is truly a must win for both of these teams in week 17. And that's all you can ask for this time of year. You want to be playing meaningful football games. And Christopher, looking at this game from a Steelers perspective, you mentioned all the injuries that Pittsburgh's had to deal with at a number of different positions. From an offensive standpoint for the Steelers, with Mason Rudolph under center, what matchup are you looking at against this Seahawks defense that either is concerning or one that intrigues you that might be an advantage for the Steelers this week? One thing I think the Steelers have to be aware of, and I asked Mike Tomlin directly about this on a, and during his Tuesday press conference, is how will the Seahawks attack the middle part of the field? Because right now, that is the weakness of the Steelers' defense as it's constructed. And the Steelers, the, the, that that part of the defense looked really good against the Bengals. They they were confusing Jake Browning. They were able to mix up their, their coverages. Uh, Terrell Austin, the defensive coordinator, his defense is very much, we're going to come at you with a lot of different looks. We're going to disguise our zones, disguise our main coverages. We're going to bring heat from different places. We're going to trust our pass rush to win a lot of time so that we can do more disguises. And, and it worked. But... I, I really do think that that is a that is a proverbial chariot that's going to turn into a pumpkin at some point for the Steelers, and they have to find a way to prolong that as much as possible. And I say that because you're dealing with a lot of backups there. Again, you're dealing with a practice squad guy like Michael Walker, a, a second-year seventh-round pick like Mark Robinson, who, who's a converted running back playing linebacker. You're dealing with Miles Jack coming off the bench. They just signed Jalen Smith uh, you know, as a, as a free agent to come fill in uh, for their situation at the linebacker. And then again, it's safety. Patrick Peterson looks like he fits really well at safety, which could change the trajectory of his career. He could turn into a Rod Woodson, Charles Woodson type of guy on the back end of that defense. If Mika Fitzpatrick can get healthy and they become a pair uh, for the next couple of years. But Next to that, you have Eric Rowe, Trenton Thompson might be another guy, and Miles Killebrew, who's a special teams ace, but not fast enough to play regular safety. Uh, if I'm the Seahawks, I'm attacking that right away. Um, you know, I'm going after I'm going after this the, the, the Steelers right down the middle. I'm challenging them. And listen, I know the Seahawks, they've been kind of a middling passing team. It's not it's not like Geno's been lightening it up, lighting it up every week this year, and then you know, Drew Locks had to play. Uh, but I, if, I, if I'm the Seahawks, I'm going after that. And if I'm the Steelers, I'm doing everything I can to neutralize that and everything I can to also neutralize Kenneth Walker. And I think that that's where the Steelers got to really be careful because if they let Kenneth Walker take over, it's going to make things a lot easier for Geno Smith and start to open everything up. Where they did really well against the Bengals was they took away Joe Mixon. They took away all their running backs. And they, for, they said, hey, Jake Browning, beat us with T. Higgins. Beat us with Tyler Boyd. Jamar Chase didn't play in the game, but that's what they forced them to do, and that allowed their their corners. Joey Porter Jr.'s had a fantastic rookie campaign. They've been they've been able to manage that. Now, can they do that against this group? I'm not as sure because the the Seattle the Seattle Seahawks offensive line I don't think is as bad as what the the Bengals field uh, for you know week week in and week out. It's not like it's elite, but um, it's it's a it's a different group. And I think that if if Pete Carroll's looking at this. He's probably thinking, how can I get Kenneth Walker on maybe some Texas routes over the middle? How can I work in Noah Fant or Kobe Parkinson or Will Disley into some stream, into some seam routes right up the middle and force Miles Jack to run with those guys a little bit and force them to communicate at a higher level? If I'm the Seahawks, that's where I'm going. And if I'm the Seahawks, or if I'm the Steelers, I'm doing everything I can to mitigate that part of the game and make it all about TJ Watt, Alex Highsmith. We're getting to Geno Smith before you even have time to think about that. I'm glad you mentioned the tight ends because I know that our listeners on Locked on Seahawks probably are getting tired of me bringing it up, but it's been an issue for them all year where they have three really solid tight ends that can all catch the football, and we haven't seen 
Shane Waldron, the offensive coordinator, really tried to get these guys involved in the passing game. And there's been other teams where it felt like that should be a big part of their game plan with all the injuries that the Steelers have. I'm looking at that thinking running backs, tight ends, Jackson Smith and Jigba from the slot, his ability to win over the middle of the field, really attack these backup linebackers, guys that just came off the couch. And the other thing that I think is going to be fascinating to watch here, if Minka Fitzpatrick plays in this football game, Geno Smith, for all the faults there may be in his game, you got to see last week, and really Jake Browning's two duds this year since he became the starter, both were against the Steelers, mm-hmm. where you have seen the lack of arm strength. One thing that Geno Smith does not have to worry about, he can sling the pigskin. He can yes, throw exactly. it anywhere he wants. He can make all the NFL throws. And so is he the quarterback that is going to be able to take advantage of some of those windows that the Steelers may have left open that Jake Browning just simply didn't have the the gun to be able to sneak the ball in and he's going to get the ball downfield too. So that leads me to my matchup that concerns me. You mentioned the O-line for Seattle. I feel like it's been better since they got Abraham Lucas back. And yet this is still an offensive line that is a middling group in my opinion. And I look at TJ Watt, one of my favorite players in the league and I think Alex Highsmith is one of those underrated pass rushers out there. They got two really good outside edge guys there. Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas, they're going to need to provide some help for them, especially Lucas with Watt spending most of his time on that side of the line. They're going to need to provide help. If you can give Geno Smith enough time, he has really good pocket presence and he can avoid some sacks himself. But if he is getting bamboozled the entire game by those guys off the edge, if there's interior pressure coming up, it's not going to matter if he can throw the ball downfield and attack this uh, safety group that could be without both of his starters, have third, fourth string guys out there playing at that position. So I'm looking at the line thinking that has got to be where the Seahawks offensively, they've got to be able to make sure they can protect well enough. And if they can do that, I like the weapons that they have, especially if they use their tight ends. That position group should be a major asset for this offense, particularly in this game against the Steelers. On the flip side for the Steelers, when they are on the offensive side of the ball, you get to see Mason Rudolph have probably the best game of his NFL career last week against Cincinnati. And meanwhile, Seattle's defense, they haven't been perfect the last two weeks, but they've been playing better the last couple weeks and they've got a lot of really good, talented players in their secondary. What's the matchup you're watching there from a Steelers perspective? I, I'm seeing if if the Steelers can get get their running backs going in this game uh, and get and get Najee Harris and Jalen Warren because they are a one-two punch. Najee Harris, I think one thing that's really happened for the Steelers is that Najee Harris has taken a lot of flack because he hasn't had had the explosive games. Uh, that some people have expected from a first-round running back, but the Steelers' offensive line has been bad to mediocre in his in his times with the Pittsburgh Steelers. This is the first year during his time here that I think that they've taken serious steps forward, and a lot of it's because they've been starting Broderick Jones, the guy they drafted in the first round this year. Uh, James Daniels has really emerged as a consistent presence, and the addition of Isaac Siamalo from the Eagles have really helped boost this offensive line. But this is still an offensive line that's hampered by a center who's not played well this season in Mason Cole and a left tackle in Dan Moore Jr., who has been a turnstile uh, many times this, this season. So I, I look at 
Um, I, I look at this at this offensive line and I say, hey, if you can if you can get after this group and if you can get guys to the second level, which is what they try to do with the, when this offensive line is at its best, is when Isaac Samuel is pulling in space. It's when Broderick Jones is is getting downfield and getting to a linebacker and the, and those guys are feeding. That's when you start creating space for Najee Harris and Jalen Warren, and then you start being able to use play action more. And where Mason Rudolph does give you an advantage. If one thing Mason Rudolph has, it is a cannon arm, and he's he's a guy. He's a backup for a reason. I don't, you know, I, I think that he he has he has he's had his problems in the past. But if there's one thing that you that, that you can trust, he's going to be able to launch that ball. And I'll also say this: he has decent pocket presence right now. He doesn't panic. He's been able to he's been able to kind of manage the pocket. He did so against the Bengals. Um, and if you're able to run the ball and make this about a vertical passing attack. That's where the Steelers can get their bread and butter. And and not, I, I talked to Najee Harris Wednesday. He talked about Bobby Wagner and what they're going to have to do to try to neutralize him. Devin Bush might play in this game. He's going to see this as a revenge game opportunity uh, as the guy that the Steelers picked in the first round that way back in, what was it, 2019, I want to say. Um, and there's going to be a lot of questions. Can the can the, can they get that going? But if I'm the Seahawks, you gotta you gotta limit Najee Harris and Jalen Warren. They'll make everything easier because if they're going, then may, there's no pressure on Mason Rudolph to carry the team. Um, and then he can hit on some a, a big player too to George Pickens or to Deontay Johnson or even work in Pat Frymuth, who they used basically as a decoy last week because they knew how much Pat Frymuth ate up the Bengals uh, about a month ago. They said, all right. We're gonna use him as a decoy. You're gonna you're gonna double cover him, and we're gonna hit the one on ones, and that's what they did. Now that's a division opponent. That's a team that they're very used to, so they have a better sense of that. Mike Tomlin admitted, "Hey, it's a different challenge when you go up against a team that you don't see twice a year, every year, and you're not used to their tendencies." So I think they try to go through traditional means, run the football, use play action, attack the middle part of the field, get the get those get those vertical passes going, and set things up. How 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 are the Seahawks? suited to defend the run and that kind of an attack right now it's been a very inconsistent season defending the run and really the, the game-changing injury for them was when Echetanuosu went down mm. in week six I believe with a pectoral injury they have struggled setting the edge their interior guys have held up well and the addition of Leonard Williams has really helped this defensive line he has been well worth everything they gave up the second and fifth round pick he's been that good he's lived up to the hype He's given the pass rushing from the interior as well. The X factor here in this is anybody not named Boye Mafe at the edge position because Mafe has generally been a decent run defender. There has been a few slip-ups as of late, but he generally has done a good job setting the edge. But without Nuosu, they've had to play Daryl Taylor more. He has always been a subpar run defender. And rookie Derek Hall, there's been flashes, but he's been inconsistent defending the run. They've had to play Draymond Jones out wide. He's done okay against the run there, but I know they'd prefer to have him playing inside where his size and speed can really be a problem for guards getting after the quarterback as an interior pass rusher. So that's really the wild card here. Are they going to be able to get any of those other guys at the end positions to do their job? Because that's what the Titans did to them last week. They got most of their yards running off tackle, when they tried to run inside, other than a couple of exceptions, the Seahawks were able to stuff them, particularly in the second half. If they can do that to the Steelers and they can set it up where their edge rushers can pin their ears back and get after Mason Rudolph, this is still a quarterback that has a history of getting razzled. If there's pressure on him, one game is an exception last week, but get after him, force him into mistakes, and this is a secondary for the Seahawks that, quite frankly, has a lot more overall talent than what the Cincinnati Bengals have right now. So, they're hoping they're having Devin Witherspoon back in this game. 
force the QB into some rush decisions and create some turnovers. But if they can't get their run defense going, Pittsburgh is a team that can travel well with that run game and make this a very interesting contest. We're going to get to our keys to victory and predictions. That'll be coming up next here on a crossover Thursday edition of Locked on Seahawks and Locked on Steelers. This episode is brought your way by LinkedIn Jobs. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to have as many top-tier candidates as possible to interview. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. When I was managing a site for SI, LinkedIn Jobs was my go-to to post writing positions to land top candidates. They made the process easy and seamless. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals and that makes it the best place to hire. Hiring is easy when you can have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. Thankfully, with LinkedIn, the process is intuitive. It's quick. It's easy. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NFL. That's linkedin.com slash locked on NFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to Crossover Thursday, Locked on Seahawks, Locked on Steelers. I'm Corbett Smith of the Locked on Seahawks podcast. Glad to be joined for today's special episode by Christopher Carter of Locked on Steelers. We've got a massive matchup on Sunday afternoon coming to Lumen Field. Two eight and seven teams battling for their playoff lives. The Seahawks in the seventh seed in the NFC. The Steelers trying to get into one of those wild card spots in the AFC coming off a big win over the Bengals. Going into this game, Christopher, both these teams have momentum with the Steelers beating the Bengals and not just beating them, beating them bad last weekend. Mason Rudolph with arguably the best performance of his NFL career. The Seahawks, meanwhile, they beat the Eagles on Monday night football. They get their Mm -hmm. mojo back. They beat the Titans last week, withstood Derrick Henry's greatness that he brings to the equation. They won two straight. Both these teams are feeling good about themselves at the same time. They both have very little margin for error. In the case of the Steelers, it's almost zero margin for error. So this is a desperation game for Pittsburgh. What do the Steelers need to do to go into Seattle and win at a a venue that hasn't been quite as one-sided in terms of wins and losses of the Seahawks, but they have been a lot better there this season. It's, It's still one of the toughest places in football to win. I mean, it's still loud, right? I mean, like, you know, Najee Harris was talking about that with us. Is like that place, he's like, that place creates earthquakes, you know? <laughs> like, like it, it would still, when Seahawks fans are into it, they're going to they're gonna be there. And listen, when you're in a playoff race, fans feel it. They they flock to it. Heck, uh, you you know, with all the talk about how bad the Steelers situation was this year, and there's some doom and, there's so many doom and gloom comments, uh, the Steelers packed Acrisure Stadium uh, last Saturday uh, when they were seven and seven against the Bengals team with Mason Rudolph starting at quarterback. So I I have full expectations for that to be the twelves to be out in force uh, for the Seahawks there. But for what the Steelers have to do, it, it, you know, it's kind of been what we've talked about. They have to play their style of football in running the ball, using play action, and Mason Rudolph keeping Mason Rudolph comfortable in the pocket so he can look down the field. And one thing that I think that Mason Rudolph did very well was his ability to process the field to take to take what's there. That's all this Steelers team has really needed all year. This team the way this roster was built, 
it did not need an elite quarterback to be a serious contender in the NFL. As long as you got competent quarterback play, taking taking the right reads at the right times, giving your playmakers just opportunities to win, and managing games. That this this team would be an eleven win team right now if it consistently had that throughout this year. But unfortunately for them, they haven't. Kenny Pickett ha- has had some rough days. Then they they went to Mitch, Mitchell Trubisky when he was hurt, and Mitch Trubisky was not that at all. Mason Rudolph in his one start has been exactly that, and I think that's why he's going to be the starter for this for this game. Uh, Mike Tomlin has said the door is still ajar for Kenny Pickett to earn that spot, but uh, I think it was last Thursday when he announced that Kenny Pickett. Uh, would be uh, would was would not be playing. So I anticipate either Thursday or Friday being that day for the Steelers uh, when they come out and make a, a, at least an announcement today. We did talk with Kenny Pickett on Wednesday, and he said, "Hey, you know, basically he feels like he can go, but it's about the doctors telling telling him whether he can he can go." And I, I've covered Kenny Pickett since college. That dude, he. He don't. He don't. If you if you if he broke his leg and he he would tell you that he's fine. He'll get, he'll go out there and he'll try to win you a championship. That's that's the kind of stuff that he did at the University of Pittsburgh uh, when I covered him there too. But um, I fully anticipate Mason Rudolph to be in this game. The, the the key for the Steelers is take the pressure off him and let him make make the the good throws that he can. Get the one on ones. Let George Pickens, Deontay Johnson, those guys make plays for you downfield and get the run game going. And then on the defense, stuff stuff Kenneth Walker. Don't let him. Ease pressure off of Geno Smith, force Geno Smith to hold on to the ball so that when TJ Watt and Alex Highsmith are bringing it, they're the playmakers in this game. I, I have a question for you, Corbin. One of the things that I think the best teams that have dismantled the Steelers this year, and I think back to how the Niners beat them, I think back to how the Texans beat them, and I think back to how um, uh, how the Colts beat them. They, the one thing that they all were able to do where they were able to kind of isolate Watt and Highsmith in the important moments and say, hey, we're going to call a screen pass. We're going to call we're going to call this concept that makes us to the edges. They're the least relevant players on these plays. And that's how and they would attack the linebackers. They would attack the safeties. They would attack those guys and make say, hey, you're the ones that are going to have to do your jobs to be at the crux of this play. Is this a Seattle Seahawks offense that you think can do that consistently throughout a game right now? The This is going to be really weird for me to say, because every year I covered the Seahawks and even the 10 years before then they couldn't run a screen to save their lives, but they've actually been consistently effective, at least running wide receiver bubble screens. They've gotten a couple running back screens that have busted, but they've been pretty solid with the receiver screens and they can attack the middle of the field. It's just about the willingness to do so. And if they actually take advantage, they have the people to. They've got three really good tight ends. Jack Smith and Jigba's excellent in the middle of the field. Their running backs are capable. So the personnel is there for them to do it. The, the question is, are they going to be able to scheme it up? Are they going to be able to have their coordinator initiate a game plan that's going to take advantage of that? From a Seahawks perspective in this game, it is all about trying to neutralize TJ Watt and Alex Highsmith. Can you find a way to protect Geno Smith just good enough that he is able to get the ball downfield to him? Because this Steelers defense, as solid as it is, they are in the top 10 in the league in passing yards allowed. They have given up a lot of passing yards this year, but it hasn't resulted in a lot of passing touchdowns because teams are not able to have the time to really take those shot plays. But with the injuries they've got at safety, some of the inconsistencies at corner, Seattle's receiving core is playing as well as it has all year right now, and they're starting to play to the level we expected. They've got weapons galore on the outside. Geno Smith's coming off his fourth game-winning drive of the season. He has been money late in games. He's thrown five touchdown passes his last two starts. It feels like he's finding his comeback player of the year groove. 
can you keep him upright enough, though, that he's able to do that? And I think some of that goes back to the run game, too. You've got to be balanced in this contest. You can't go in and think, we're going to run the ball only 30% of the time, and we're going to average 2.5 yards per carry. They need to be more efficient, and they need to be able to run the ball enough the Seahawks or that the Steelers have to respect it in this football game. And then defensively, Eliminate George Pickens' big playability by getting after Mason Rudolph. I'm looking at mm-hmm. Boy Mafe. I'm looking at Daryl Taylor, and I'm looking at Derek Hall. Can the edge guys, and the interior rusher as well, but can the edge guys really collapse that pocket of Mason Rudolph and make him frenzied, make him make some of those bad decisions he's made in his other starts in his NFL career that he's had? Can you force him into mistakes and prevent him from having the time to be be able to take those shots downfield to George Pickens against your secondary? I think if the pass rush is able to win up front and they don't let the Steelers really ground them and pound them with a run game, that they can get Mason Rudolph frazzled, even with how last week looked. If they can't accomplish those two things, then this could be a game that ends up being far more difficult than they already envisioned. I expect it is going to be a close game. And that's really the last question here, Christopher. We've got a game right now with the Seahawks being, I believe, three-and-a-half-point favorites now yep. for this game. It was two-and-a-half, and it jumps up to three-and-a-half, according to FanDuel. What are your thoughts on this game as far as the Steelers' chances of being able to cover that or even potentially pull the upset going into this game? I I think this will be a three-point game. I think this will go down to the wire, and with that, I think the Steelers will be able to cover. But I think it's going to be a very even game, and I think it's going to come down to turnovers. It's going to come down to chance on those and who who blinks first in those opportunities. Um, Can the Steelers be the team that creates them? Last week, they were the team that created them. They got three interceptions. I think they got two or three turnovers on downs. They were on point there. Can they do that again against the Seahawks offense that I think will be better than what they faced last week? I'm not so so sure. I think they can create some. I don't think they – but but three turnovers can be a stretch. But if the offense is converting at a third down, rate that's higher like last week than they have all season uh if the offense is able to finish in the red zone the way they did last week and the way they hadn't all season uh that's going to change the tone for this game entirely that's the thing Corbin the Steelers had basically had all but I think one uh, throughout the last two seasons all but I think one game of their of one of their wins were decided by a single possession and that was their their 28-14 win over the Browns at the end of last season and then all of this season it was one score games one score games one score games and then all of a sudden you get that performance that's something that this Steelers team hasn't felt and I say that this you know hasn't felt because nobody on the offensive side of the ball was you know was really around. Some of them were there for 2020, like Deontay Johnson. But um, but by and large, this this is a unit that that hasn't felt that kind of success. How do they respond to that? That's going to be one of my big questions to to look for in this game is how do they build off of the success that they've created for themselves? Um, I, I think this is a close contest, and um, but I think you wouldn't be crazy for picking either team in this situation. Yeah, I'm I'm tending to be pulling towards that within three and a half point range myself as well because I just have too much respect for the way the Sealers are coached and their defense. I, I worry about that pass rush and their ability to get after Geno Smith. The Seahawks can protect him well enough. I think the Seahawks have more talent on the outside. And I think that that would allow them in front of their home crowd to have an advantage. But I just think the Steelers, that pass rush, the mindset, the physicality, I expect this is going to be a game that absolutely goes down to the wire and could go either way. It's going to be one of those get your popcorn ready matchups, especially with two teams that are in desperation mode that need a win to stay in the playoff hunt in both the NFC 
and the AFC. That's a wrap here on Crossover Thursday here on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Chris Carter. Thanks so much to Corbin Smith for hosting and handling all the, the daily duties of being the host of a Crossover Thursday episode. We'll be back here tomorrow with Jenna Harner here on the Locked On Steelers Podcast, breaking everything down. All the updates. Will Mason Rudolph definitively start? I think he will, but we'll get more into that when we get the chance, uh, when we get the chance to see more of how this week plays out. Also, we'll make a Fitzpatrick play. All that and more will be revealed on our Friday episode of the Locked On Steelers Podcast. I'm Chris Carter. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Carter Critiques. Read my work at the Pittsburgh Post Gazette, post-gazette.com. Find me here on the Locked on Steelers podcast every day, Monday through Friday, sometimes with bonus episodes on weekends on your favorite podcasting apps and on YouTube. We'll see you here for the Friday episode of Locked on Steelers. 